A lack of information around addiction and mental health issues has led to a lot of confusion. Heroes in Recovery is here to set the record straight and break the stigma through the power of storytelling and by celebrating the heroic efforts of those who walk this road of recovery every day. Our movement is built on the personal journeys of survivors, shining a spotlight on the disease of addiction and creating a global community of support. Go to heroesinrecovery.com to share your story, read hundreds of others, or join us for a 6K race. Together, we can break the stigma. Yo, what's up? This is Jacoby from Papa Roach. This is Ryan Lee. This is Wes. This here. is Bob Ford. This is Rich Roll, and you're listening to Silver Guy Radio. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to Humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. I'm Shane Raymer, and you're listening to that Sober Guy podcast. And today we're going to be talking with Sam Anthony. Uh, Sam is in long-term recovery and uses his personal experiences with drugs and alcohol, uh, depression, anxiety, suicidal behavior uh, to educate and motivate others. Uh, and he also just released his first book, Hands Like You're Praying, uh, which follows Sam's story and takes the reader on a walk inside the life of an addict. Uh, we're going to get to Sam in just a minute. But first, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can get past episodes there, resources. Uh, and you can also check us out on Instagram, at RealThatSoberGuy, and on Twitter, at Shane Raymer. Um, also, do you or a loved one need some help? Uh, I have a great resource for you. We've been working with these guys for a couple of years now. You can call Foundations Recovery Networks. Uh, they have treatment centers, both inpatient and outpatient, um, and they have a confidential and private line where you can talk to somebody firsthand, and that number is 877-714-1318. Uh, once again, that's 877-714-1318. So be sure to reach out to those guys if you need some help for you or a loved one. Uh, and then we have the, let's see, the TSG merch store. Some things up there you can check out. We've got some men's shirts, some ladies' shirts, some hoodies, some zip-up hoodies, uh, some coffee mugs. Uh, help support us. Support your recovery. You can get your merch today and go to thatsoberguy.com and click on the store tab there and uh, check those out. We always love the support and we appreciate you guys for connecting with us. Uh, Sam Anthony, welcome, man. It's good to finally... Uh, finally meet you. I never say like, is that funny? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm meeting you, even though we're doing a, um, you know, a, a call, a video call. But at the same time, I guess we're meeting each other, man. So it's not in person, but it's digitally in person. Uh, it's good to finally connect with you, brother. How you doing? Ah, thanks, Shannon. I appreciate the introduction. It's good to connect with you too. It's been a while in the making. I've actually had to happen a lot lately because, uh, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit of a presence on social media. Nice. And especially in my local area, I'm going to these mixers and fundraisers and speaking events and people are coming up to me and be like, hey, are, are you Sam? Are you that Sam Anthony guy? Like, I follow you on Facebook. And it's 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 very humbling experience because a long yeah. time ago, nobody wanted to approach me and introduce themselves because I just wasn't approachable. So yeah, that's crazy. Side of things, man. So where, where are you from, man? Where do you, where do you live or where are you from originally? So right now I'm actually down in Virginia, but I grew up in uh, Union, New Jersey. I usually joke around with people. I'm from the part of Jersey that gives Jersey a bad name, Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> no way. You know, some people are going to hear from my hometown are probably going to hear me say that and be like, whoa, 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 what did he say? Yeah. But nah, man, I, I've got nothing but love for New Jersey. But I, I left there in uh, 2004 trying to run away from my problems. And, mm. uh, and everywhere I went, there I was. And yeah. you know, 
as you hear my story, you'll know that that did not work even a little bit. So, yeah, I love that. I love that line. I, I caught that in your bio too. And it's funny when I saw that, I said, man, I, I was just talking about that. I, uh, I can't remember if it was last week's podcast or what it was recently, but I remember saying that like, no matter where I go, there I am. So I can run forever, man. I could run around the world. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, wherever I show up, I'm going to bring the same crap with me that, uh, you know, that I, that that's on my back unless I'm dealing with that stuff up front. And it sounds like, uh, you had kind of a, a rude awakening in that aspect after a long, a long run. I know, uh, I know you, you ended up, uh, in the hospital and almost died. Uh, and you did some time, uh, some time in jail and you went down that whole path, man, that, that really led to destruction, uh, so I'm going to kind of hand it off to you, bro, and, and maybe let you jump in and, and start wherever you'd like, man. And then, of course, we'll, we'll touch on the book uh, that, that recently came out that's, that's awesome that shares your whole story, too. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I don't want to get into like an entire drunk log or anything like that. But uh, whenever I speak to anybody, especially anybody in recovery, I want to make sure that I can qualify myself as somebody that you should be listening to and somebody has a story of hope. So, um, you know, like I said, I tried to run away from my problems in 2004. Uh, I took my first drink when I was 12 years old. I came from a good home. My family was not drug addicts and alcoholics. Mm. I wasn't beaten or neglected as a child. I came from a good home, raised in the Catholic church. But, you know, I was full of anxiety, depression. I got bullied in school. And I never quite felt like I fit in anywhere. Mm. So when I took that drink, all those feelings went away. So I learned at an early age, if I don't like the way I'm feeling about myself, I could take something and do something about it. And yeah. I thought that it fixed all my problems. But today I know if I have four problems and I take a drink or a drug, now I've got five problems. Unfortunately, <laughs> it just took me a long time to realize that. And I, I actually, I use this, I do a lot of public speaking now in schools and stuff like that. And especially when I talk to the students, I like to use this line and uh, it's not an original quote, but uh, you know, I like to borrow stuff from other people and uh, you know, try to expand on it a little bit. I don't know if you've ever sure. heard this, but the quote goes, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am, but I am, who I think you think I am. So hmm. to sum that up, I don't know what you thought about me, but I was real concerned with what I thought you thought about me. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. That's big. Dude. That just reminded <laughs> me too of like, I've heard that line, uh, similar, uh, same concept, I think, um, in a sense where it's none of my business what other people think about me. It's kind of the, it's kind of contrary to that line, I guess, man, but that's good. Absolutely. And I had to, you know, definitely grasp onto that. And the first time I ever heard that line was when I got to 12 step recovery. Somebody said, what somebody else thinks about you is none of your business. And, yeah. you know, I passed that along too. I wish I would have heard it at a younger age and I didn't hear yeah. it well into my twenties and thirties when a lot of damage was already done. Um, but you know, I, I did just like everybody else did, man. I started off with some non-addictive marijuana and, uh, you know, it started doing some pills and stuff like that. And that continued all throughout middle school and high school. Yeah. Um, after high school, a bunch of my friends started doing cocaine. And I told mm. myself it wasn't something I was interested in. And, you know, so I went back to my parents' house where I grew up. And I was just getting drunk and high in my, uh, in my house, in my room where I grew up as a kid. And, you know, I don't know. If, I'm sure a lot of people here have gotten drunk and high by themselves. But it's a lonely place. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. And I, I don't wish it upon anybody. And it got so lonely that I decided I needed to go and hang out and do something. So I went back out with my boys and I said that they could do whatever they want, but I'm not going to. But you know the saying, if you hang out in a barbershop long enough, eventually you're going to get a haircut, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I hit that line of cocaine and I became addicted right away. It made me fight with a lot of people I never wanted to fight with, steal from people I never wanted to steal from, you know, a lot of people I never wanted to lie to. And it led to my, led to my first arrest as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, but 
like we were talking about, I think before you ever turned the mic on, you know, all my problems were people, places and things. They had nothing to do with me. And, uh, you know, if my dope man would have answered the phone that night, I wouldn't have had to go down to the hood in the first place to get it. If, uh, you know, I never would have started hanging out with those friends again. I never would have got addicted to Coke in the first place. If I would have went to this yeah. corner instead of that corner, 5-0 wouldn't have rolled up. You know, so just all those little things. And since my problems had everything to do with other people, places, and things, and nothing to do with Sam, I decided I was going to run away from my problems. And I left New Jersey. I came down to Virginia. And it's it's that it's that classic like victim mentality too. You know what I'm saying? Like that. No, no matter what happens, I'm always pointing the finger at someone else or something else, or that's why this happened to me. Um, man, dude, I know that's a I know that was a huge struggle for me too, and 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 getting out of that. Uh, man, it's a it's a battle for sure. One of the other things I wanted to hit on real quick, you said um, that you always kind of. Uh, um, promised or or you didn't think uh that you'd ever do cocaine and man that was the same with me like i would smoke weed and drink and i, I would say man like I'm, I'll, I'll never touch that stuff i'll never go there but you know what i mean sure sure as shit like eventually it got there man and uh that's um that's kind of uh that's kind of where it gets to that next level and before you know it it's completely out of control uh, so you started at a young age um kind of coming up through that uh what happens that takes you to that next level where you start to really get in some trouble? You know, they say that we're only as sick as our secrets. And um, it's actually, it's funny. I've been addicted to a lot of, a lot of substances, man. I was addicted to ecstasy. Hmm. Um, I was a fifth of day vodka drinker for a long time, pack of Newports a day uh, smoker, marijuana, cocaine, all these things. It's prescription pills are by far the hardest substance hmm. I've ever had to kick in my life. Yeah. Now, um, I never did heroin and it's only because I was scared and I wasn't scared of needles. I mean, if anybody sees my pictures, I've got tattoos. So it wasn't a needles. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to like it too much. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I never did it. And I always went to any length that I had to, to get the pills. Mm. And that was the nail in the coffin for me, man. Over the next 10 years, um, you know, I got arrested two times because of pills. I got sentenced to three years in jail because of them. I got fired from work because of them. Um, I overdosed and ended up in ICU with a tube down my throat, all wow. because of these stupid pills that were supposed to be safer because they came from the doctor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, today I know that's not true. And I try to spread that message now. Yeah, that's a tough one, dude. I got a couple of homies, um, you know, who've had serious injuries and, um, you know, I, I think the the pills were already an issue before, but then you add the the injury in there. And so it's almost like this easy justification of like, well, I have an injury, you know, I'm hurt. And I, and I, I totally get that too. I understand it, but how do you kind of like separate that? You know what I'm saying? What are other alternatives to this legal prescription? Cause that's the thing. Oh, well they're prescribed. I mean, you kind of said it yourself. They're prescribed to me. So they're cool. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. nah, man. And, and what happens is, you know, you're, you're prescribed something and eventually the amount or the effect of that drug eventually wears off and you got to go up to that next higher dosage or higher pill or whatever, you know, I'll just say branding without naming anything particular. It goes up to the next level. And dude, that's, that's when, that's when people die straight up. You know, that's why I told one of my homies, I said, I don't want to see you die, you know, but it's hard to, to get that into somebody when they're, when they're locked in that. Um, how long, how long did you, um, were you addicted to pills for? 
So I took my first pills. My first introduction to him was actually when I was 16. I tore some ligaments in my ankle playing football. And again, yeah. doctor sent me home to him. But just being who I am, uh, you know, once I took one, I realized right away that it was an amazing feeling, the euphoria, yeah. that sense of I don't care what you think about me. And I'm a pretty smart guy. If one is two or if one is good, two must be better, right? Yeah. So I went back and I took another one. Now I know more is not better. It's just more just means more and more almost yeah. kill me. Um, but it's funny. You, you talk about them being prescribed, but I can't follow directions. I don't take them as prescribed. If they take one <laughs> to two every four to six, I'm taking yeah. four to six every one to two. And I'm also washing it down with a fifth of vodka. So, yeah. um, and that's fun. I listen to a lot of speaker tapes and I heard something really good. And I mean, we've all heard that this uh, disease is spiritual in nature and it's progressive in nature and things like that. But he said it's, it's prog progressive in two aspects. Um, number one, it's progressive that as you continue to drink and use, you're going, it's gonna get progressive and that you need more to get the same effect. So yeah. that's one aspect of it being progressive. But the other aspect is progressive in nature. As I need more to get the same effect, I'm willing to do more, steal more, lie more, cheat more, to get what I need to get that same effect. Yeah. And you know, that was my story as, you know, I went in and I got arrested for prescription fraud. Oh, really? Cause I made copies of a prescription of Percocet and dropped it off at multiple pharmacies. You know, I was willing to do more to get more. So there's, it's progressive in a lot of ways and not just how much we have to take, but what we're willing to do to get it. And if you've read any memoir on anybody who's had a problem with substance use disorder, I mean, we, we've read the stories on and the lengths that people will go to get what they need to get yeah. to feel the what they need to feel. So, yeah. Uh, was, was there a, like, what was your low point, man? I mean, I know, I know you find, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was, I was going to say, I know you've had a few, but I mean, was there one that, was there one that in particularly stands out that kind of had the most impact that you think maybe even if it wasn't right at that moment, it eventually led you, um, you know, to, to making the, the changes that you made? Uh, the overdose, hands down. I don't remember yeah. much about that night. Uh, I remember I went to my sister's house. And um, at the time, my wife and I were renting a very small basement apartment. And my sister was out of town with her family and said that we can go and hang out at her nice big corner house, watch her big TV, cook in her kitchen. And huh. I was like, okay. So when I got there, I got there early. My wife was working. I don't even think I was employed at the time. And uh, I did what I normally did when I went into somebody's house, which is go through your medicine cabinets. Uh, hmm. It's nothing I'm proud of, but you know, I've been through a lot of medicine cabinets in my day. And uh, I went in there and I took some Vicodin, I found some Percocet, I found some cough syrup with some hydrocodone in it, and I drank on top of it. And Damn. that's really all I remember. After that, my wife came in and found me on the floor unconscious, unresponsive, uh, ended up uh, going across the street, got the neighbor, came back, they had to give me CPR. And I mean, my own wow. wife had to keep me give me CPR to keep me alive. That's just about wow. as low as it gets. Um, they gave me two doses of Narcan, didn't reverse my overdose right away. It obviously did what it needed to do to allow the doctors time to do what they needed to do. Mm. But I woke up in the ICU choking on that intubation tube and I had no idea how I got there. My wife was wow. looking over me and she was saying, you overdosed. But it's funny, that was probably my seventh, eighth, ninth attempt at recovery. I mean, I have more than enough 20, 24 hour chips yeah. and uh, I knew what I needed to do. And they tell us that you need to pray to whoever it is that you pray to to remove that obsession to, yeah. to take drugs and drink and whatever it is that you're doing at the time. So even as I was getting loaded on a daily basis, I was praying to God, God, please rem remove this obsession from me. And I thought that one night I would go to sleep, wake up, and I wouldn't be thinking about drugs and alcohol in the morning. And it happened just like that, but it happened on his terms, not mine. I woke up yeah. in the ICU with a tube down my throat, but that's the first time I woke up in probably three or four years that the first thing on my mind was not taking a drink or a drug.
Damn, that's crazy, bro. How, uh, so how long, like, if you don't mind me asking too, did your wife party with you? Was she, was she aware of what was going on? Was she totally out of the loop? Did she have an idea? Like, what, what did that look like? So my wife, when I met my wife, she was a good girl. And I knew if I was going to get her and keep her, I was going to have to clean my act up. Hmm. And I never really sought any treatment or anything like that. I just hit things a little bit better. I calmed down a little bit better. But again, yeah. we're only as sick as our secrets. Um, so she didn't, she knew that I'd been in AA before, but she didn't really know what alcoholism was. You know, she didn't know that just because I went six months without drinking, it wasn't okay for me to just have one or two. Yeah. You know, so she just wasn't educated at the time. Like a lot of people aren't. Um, but after the overdose, it was, she was willing to stay with me. It's leaving me was never an option. Um, not, it was, it was an option. It wasn't a consideration of hers. Got it. Okay. Um, she never thought about it. She never partied with me. The only time she, she drank maybe four or five times a year and it was always a special occasion. And normally she would order something and I would finish it. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, you gonna drink that? No, okay, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's how she drinks. She drinks like a normal person drinks, and I, I till this day, I still don't get it, but it's okay. Uh -huh. I don't have to. Yeah. And um, yeah, so she stuck by my side. She was supportive of my recovery. Um, there was a lot of static after my overdose and back in recovery. You know, you can't leave the house with cash on you. Mm. Um, you know, where did you go? Did you buy something? Let me see your receipt. And yeah. you know, at first it aggravated me, but then it got to the point where. I knew God was doing what he needed to do in my life. I was starting to feel recovered. I was getting healthy again. And I just, I stopped fighting it. So when I would get home, instead of her aggressively asking for a receipt and me bickering about it, I just put the receipt on the counter. Huh. And I didn't yeah. have to worry about it anymore. And it's little things like that that allowed her to trust me again. But I fell again, even after that. Huh. Yeah, dude, that's pretty amazing, man. And, and, and so much respect to her for, uh, you know, for sticking by you and, and supporting you. And I, I think that a lot of the time, um, when we talk about addiction, the family members, our spouses, um, they don't always get the credit, I feel like sometimes that they deserve. And I know with my lady, like, you know, we, we still have our, our challenges. I mean, any married, you know, life with kids and all, I mean, there's a lot going on and stuff. And um, at the same time, you know, same thing. She's always stuck by me. And um, it's been a huge, like, I, I couldn't do it without my wife. And I'm sure I'm not, I can't speak for you. But I, my guess is you'd probably say the same thing just in that, in that process. So I guess what I'm getting at here, mad shout out and love to all the families and the spouses and everyone out there, man, for supporting your loved ones who are going through this stuff, because um, it's not easy. And a lot of us tried to do it alone for a long time. And that is ultimately what got us in the spot of either death institutions, um, rehabs, uh, or, or just uh, trying to recover and get sober. So um, just much respect to her. Uh, you now you mentioned that you started actually writing the book when you were locked up, man, do you want to you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, I actually wrote the book after I got arrested, but I need to give a shout out to my wife too, really. Yeah. Quick. Oh yeah, please do, man. I, I would be dead literally and figuratively if it wasn't for her. And this is a family disease. And for every relapse that I had, she relapsed. She didn't relapse on drugs yeah. and alcohol, but she relapsed spiritually. Um, the, the power and strength of our relationship relapsed. So um, yeah, she is a rock and she's the foundation. And you know, I've got an amazing opportunity that a lot of addicts and alcoholics don't have. And I have a yeah. son that never has to see me take a drink or a drug and hasn't seen That's me awesome. take a drink or a drug. And, you know, it's all because of her love and dedication to our marriage and our recovery. So yeah, yeah that's awesome, dude. That's awesome, man. That's a uh... 
like because they they go through a lot of this stuff you know too they they're they're just on the other side of it and even i know my wife doesn't mind me mentioning this i've I've mentioned it before but eventually you know she she's working her own step study now for codependency and for um just learning more about about you know alcoholism addiction and you know it's um it's a huge thing because it's like yeah here i can go i can go get sober and work on myself and stuff too and it's like well well, like, where does that leave her? Where does that leave our loved ones at? Like, they're, they're just as confused. They're just as, um, you know, they're just as susceptible to a lot of the things that we have to deal with. It's just in a different light. So uh, that's just awesome, dude, that, that uh, you guys are kind of doing it together. Yeah, man. She comes to meetings with me and she actually prefers going to AA meetings in Al-Anon. Um, nice. One day when I had a sponsee that relapsed and I needed to get him to a meeting. We actually dropped his son off here at my house and my wife watched him for an hour and a half so I could take this guy to a meeting. Like, uh, we're in this together and it, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, how, how old's your son? If you don't mind me uh, asking. He's 17 months. Oh, not, dude. So you got a little guy, bro. That's yeah. right. I do remember that. I do remember you saying that, man. So, hey, congrats on that, dude. That's yeah. awesome, bro. You start, you're going to start him young. Like he ain't ever going to see pop drunk or nothing like that, dude. That's, That's right, pretty man. bad. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, to answer your question about the book. Yeah. I actually started writing it after my last arrest. And um, you mentioned the title during the intro, Hands Like You're Praying. And a lot of people get a little bit confused by that title. Um, They think religious and stuff like that. And yes, I'm a Christian. That's how I identify. That's my God. Um, But that's actually not where the title came from. The title came from the last time I got arrested. They told me to turn around and put my hands behind my back like I'm praying. And then they put cups. Oh, wow, bro. That's awesome, dude. I didn't know that. Damn, powerful. God works in funny ways. I don't know if he just thought that I needed a, a title for the book, but um, I got arrested actually for uh, two counts of breaking and entering. And um, I had a client of mine that I knew had a bottle of 50 Oxy in her house. And I used the key that I knew she had a spare key stashed somewhere. I went in her house. I took her pills. And uh, I didn't know, like a lot of people do these days, she had a camera in her house. And when she saw me on wow. film on camera going through her stuff, she called the cops and rightfully so. I don't blame her one bit. But uh, I got arrested. Uh, I got one of the charges dropped. So I was facing one felony conviction. I had six months before I had to actually go for sentencing because it's a really long process. I got bailed out the day I got arrested. And uh, I started writing a book. And I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. I just knew I needed to do something. So I yeah. got back into recovery. I called up my old counselor. I got back into an IOP. Um, I called up my old sponsor. Uh, we started going to church again, like that weekend. And I started writing the book. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to write. And I started writing it. And then I ended up getting sentenced to three years in jail in April of 20 or March of 2016. And luckily the judge had a little bit of mercy in her heart and she suspended uh, two years and 11 months of that sentence. So I only had to go to jail for 30 days, which isn't ideal, but it's better than three years. Yeah. Way better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So my wife at the time was actually eight weeks pregnant uh, when I got sentenced. So I had to leave her at home, you know, pregnant by herself with the dog and uh, go serve my time. And unfortunately we had a miscarriage while I was locked up. Um, So that, I mean, that whole scenario right there was my, my second bottom. Um, you know, I kind of joked around before when you asked me what was my bottom, my turning point, And I laughed and said, which one, but yeah. overdose and getting arrested and cuffed in front of my wife and then being in jail when she had to go through that. I mean, it, it doesn't get much worse than that. I mean, they say that there's only three places, what, three or four places for a, a drug addict, alcoholic death, jails, institutions or recovery. Yeah. All right. I already had one foot in the grave. I already been locked up. 
So, I mean, I didn't know what else was left. So that was about as bad as it got. But yeah, a lot of the book was written while I was locked up in B-Pod. Uh, there's some good stuff in there. There's actually a letter that my wife wrote me while I was locked up talking about our miscarriage and how God's going to carry us through it. So, you know, even, even from there, uh, there, it, he, he was working in our lives, man. I was six months sober when I got locked up. I would have celebrated six months of sobriety in jail, but they don't hand out chips in there. So I went to, <laughs> I yeah. went to, a, yeah, I went to a meeting the day that I got out and led a meeting, picked up my chip and, um, you know, I just, I hit the ground running like nothing ever happened. Yeah, that's great, uh, bro. Yeah, you're, you're more likely to get a, a, a moldy bologna sandwich or something. They don't do the chips. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, man. So, um, dang, dude, yeah, that, that's crazy, bro. And so, so you're, um, you know, your, your lady saw that happen right in front. You know, you said you got, you got arrested, you go through all this stuff together. Um, I'll, maybe we can jump in a little bit and, and talk about God, man. I, I, I like that you, that you mentioned, um, you know, or I don't even know how you said it, but you said something about religious or religion. And, and one of the things that I really I really feel strongly about is the difference between religion and having a spiritual relationship with God. So whatever your God is, like I don't ever come on here and say you should do this or you should do that, or you need to think this way, or this has to be your God. Nothing like that at all. Just something higher. Like my sponsor always says, he goes, man, you just got to know there is a God and it's not you. Cause I'll just start there. And I right. said, I said, man, that's so great. You know? Um, but, uh, you know, how, how foundational has a higher power God, like, I mean, how, how much has that been for you in, in your recovery, bro? It's been huge, man, because they say that sometimes the only thing between you and a drink or you and a drug is going to be your higher power. Um, I used to go to a men's group that was pretty hardcore, and they had on the wall, they had this thing, is the five basics. And the five hmm. basics were um, don't drink, go to meetings, read the literature, call your sponsor, and pray. Hmm. But then they would expand on that and say that there's times where reading the literature, calling your sponsor, or going to a meeting are not going to be an option. So the last two options are drink or pray. So there's times where I've been in that situation where I just didn't have those options. Uh, and jail was one of them, man. When I was in jail and I was on the phone with my wife and she said we lost the baby, I'm not gonna lie, taking a drink or a drug to, to kill that pain felt like a pretty good idea. Yeah. But the worst part is that honestly wasn't even an option because I couldn't left to go get it. So I was left with one device and that was pray. And I had an open mm. you know, communication with my higher power. And I used to go to a meeting with a guy who would say, being drunk and high really blocks out the sunlight of the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> oh, wow. you know, to dumb, yeah, to dumb that down, man, if, if, you're, if you're getting wasted, it, it's hard to have an open conversation with anybody, let alone a higher power. Oh yeah. Yeah. And when you do, or at least when I did, I, I, I rarely really remembered them the following day. Anyways, it was, it was a little bit, you know, cloudy and man, wait, did I say that? Wait, did, did he say that? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, dude, I don't, I don't miss those days at all. Uh, uh so maybe, I mean, what is life like today, bro? Obviously it's a hundred times better. You're not dead. That's number one. Um, you know, but I mean, what, what, what does your recovery look like? Like what, what do you got going on besides the book? Like what is, what is recovery brought you Sam? Uh, good question, man. When they lied to me in recovery and I want to, I want to say that when I got to recovery, they told me if I get sober and I stay sober, my dreams will become reality. Hmm. And that was a lie because I am living proof that if you get sober and you stay sober, your reality can actually surpass your dreams. Wow, that's good. Because when I got arrested and I picked up that 24-hour chip, I was literally just, I didn't know what to do. I was like, all right, now I've had, I've been arrested three or four times now. 
uh, as an adult. Uh, I'm going to have a record. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a job. I may be going to jail. Is my wife going to leave? Like I just wanted to those basic things and that's it. Yeah. And you know, you, you mentioned a couple of times and I mentioned now I'm doing some speaking and stuff like that. And that was all by accident. That was all God's plan. And I remember I had a counselor who used to say to me, um, she would say, Sam, if you could see God's path for you, you probably wouldn't walk it. And I love that because I, I don't know what it is. And she's like, if you could, you wouldn't walk it. So after I got done writing a book and I submitted it to the publisher, I uh, didn't know what to do because it was keeping me busy. So I wanted, I felt like God was telling me, you need to go share your story. And I had no idea how to, because I was so insecure. Like I was not a public speaker. I didn't have good communication skills or social skills or anything like that. But now God's telling me that I need to go out and tell my story. I'm like, all right, well, I have a, I've run a recovery blog on my website and uh, I've got, I think three or four parts I've wrote now. Is it odd or is it God? We've all heard that meetings before. It's not an original phrase, but back in 2006, when I got arrested for the prescription fraud, I had a substance abuse counselor and it was Jen. And 10 years later, I saw her on social media and I was like, wow, we have a whole bunch of mutual friends. Like, I don't know if she can friend me or not since I'm old patient of hers, but whatever I hit at, yeah. she responded. And when I found out that God was kind of leading me to say, go talk to kids. I didn't know how to do it. So where did I go? Social media. Where, where do you ask any other question these days? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Facebook. Hey, where could I find? <laughs> so I went to Facebook and I said, Hey, I want to speak in schools. Can somebody else help me out? Well, guess who saw it? She did. She was no longer a counselor. She was actually the director of student services for the County of all the school systems that I live in now. Shit. And she said, Hey, we're doing a, a presentation uh, next Friday. Do you want to come share your story? You'll have about 20 minutes. I'm like, yeah, cool. What is this? Like a health class or something like that? <laughs> like, no, it's going to be all the juniors and seniors. It'll be about 800 kids. I'm like, Holy crap. <laughs> wow. So my first public speaking appearance ever was to 800 high school students. I had a word doc with a couple of bullet points, but when I left there, she was like, dude, that was awesome. And I was like, I got to do that again. I don't know where, I don't know how. And she was like, Hey, do you yeah. know so-and-so the speaker? He was here a few years ago and got paid like $5,000. I'm like, Whoa, wait, what? people get paid to do this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I did a little bit of research. I started listening to some podcasts. I built the website and um, I just literally started speaking anywhere, anytime. And now I've gotten to the point where I've got several paid speaking engagements coming up. People are actually seeking out me and it's the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my life. I mean, I've literally raised my hand in my community and broke my socio or in my community on a socioeconomic level and broke my anonymity. Yeah. I just said, Hey, this is who I am. You know, I'm an addict. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And this is what I'm trying to do now. And you know what? Nobody's condemned me for it. Yeah. People are reaching out. I've had an opportunity to help so many people and I've had an opportunity to help people and I'm, I'm never going to know what the response was and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah man, yeah. life has been amazing in sobriety and none of this was my plan. So, well, and I think that's a really great example, Sam, and congrats on that, bro. It's just so, so awesome to hear. And I think, you know, the best thing about that, you're just doing the next right thing. You're not trying to control stuff. You're not trying to have these expectations. Um, and obviously when I say that, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have dreams and visions and goals and strategies and that kind of stuff too, but we can have that stuff. But at the same time, uh, for me, I have to let go of the expectations of what, you know, what that might be or what it won't be. Um, 
you know, with you, you're doing the next right thing. This, you know, you, you connect with this person. It leads into the speaking engagement at this school. And then boom, like you're, you're just continuing to follow. And I know in my own experience, that has been, you know, the similarly, some of the coolest things, some of the coolest people I've met, some of the, you know, coolest things I've been able to do since getting, getting sober and then just kind of letting God direct me, bro, has just been, it's unbelievable sometimes, man. Like, like, do you ever wake up some days and go, man, like, holy crap, like how the heck did I even get here after all the crap I've been through? You know, it's a trip. Dude, waking up every day is amazing. And I remember I used to hate waking up. I used to stay <laughs> up as late as I possibly could drinking as much as I possibly could. Cause I didn't want to go to bed. Cause I didn't want to wake up. Yeah. You know, I, it's like, I didn't know how to live, but I didn't want to die. Like it was just this awful yeah. cycle that I just couldn't get through. And now every day that I wake up, the first thing that we do is, you know, I see my wife and then I get to see my son and that smiling face. I go down to yeah. my dogs and two wagon tails, you know, <laughs> I walk outside and the sky is actually blue. It's not gray. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, they, they say when you get sober that everything around you changes, it's just you and your perception that changes. Yeah, everything else is totally. still the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the dogs too, man. We got a little, uh, Havanese dude and that dude does not, he don't care what kind of day I had. I could have the, you know, a, a really bad day, which thank God doesn't happen too often, but they're there. Definitely. I mean, each oh, yeah. day is different. Um, or I can have just a phenomenal day, you know, really on the up, dude. And that dude does not care. He come in, he's so happy, bro. I'm just like, what are you doing, man? You're just running around. You just sleep all day. You eat a bunch of food, maybe wag your tail, but you're so happy all the time, dude. That's so legit. <laughs> yeah, I like dogs more than people sometimes. If you're not a fan of dogs, I'm really not a fan of yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you, bro. How, how can you not like a, a good dog, man? Uh, uh, but So, dude, tell us a little bit about the book, man, and then, and then we'll wrap this thing up, man. Um, what's going on with the book? Uh, what's next for you? Where can we find it at? All that good stuff. Cool. Yeah. So the book's available now. I've got it listed on my website. So if anybody wants a signed copy, I'm happy to sign it and send it out. Uh, it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I wrote the book. It's, it's basically my story from when I picked up at 12 years old and it talks a lot about, you know, with the experiences I mentioned earlier, the anxiety, depression, and not fitting in. Um, but it talks a lot about where God was during each step in that in, point as well uh during nice. my life and then again you're going to hear several times from uh the wife of an addict my wife actually co-authored the book with me um the first time that you're going to hear from her is actually the night that i overdosed because i tell you about as much of the story as i can remember yeah. and then you're going to hear from her from the time that she left work called me i didn't answer the phone she showed up found me waiting in the uh, er with the doctors telling her they didn't know whether i was going to live or die you're going to read a letter that she wrote to me while I was in jail. And then one of the coolest things on the very last page of the book, there's a, uh, a picture of me, a firefighter and my son in his stroller. And one day I was home and uh, there was some uh, fi fire truck activity outside of my house. And I went downstairs and I saw his name, Lieutenant Greg, and it was him and his team that showed up that night and got me to the ER. Oh, They're the ones wow. that gave me the Narcan. I see him in the community often now and a uh, very nice guy. He's very happy, uh, you know, that he got a, a happy ending with that story because yeah. those, those rescue workers, they see so many stories that don't end Gross. well. And uh, I told him, I was like, hey man, I need a picture of you with my son because I want to be able to show Micah, that's my son, the, guy, the, the man and his team that saved your father's life one day. So yeah. that's actually the last picture in the book. And I mean, you just can't make that stuff up, man. I mean, that was, there was no accident that he, he, he happened to show up in front of my house that day when I happened to be at home on a Friday afternoon with my son. Like there's no accidents in God's world. There's an yeah. otter, there's a God, 
I don't know, but I do know it's always God. <laughs> Yeah, that's good, man. That's so good, bro. Uh, man, well, I just want to congratulate you, man, on the book, um, on your recovery, everything that you're doing, man. Sounds like you're doing some phenomenal work in your community and branching out outside of that and speaking and um, do just good, good stuff. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, where could, if anyone wants to reach out to you, they want to contact you also, where could they do that? Cool. So I'm uh, all across social media. So the website's real easy. It's samanthonyspeaks.com. All my contact info is on there. Also, all my social media tags, my Facebook, my Instagram, my LinkedIn, uh, my contact form will send an email directly to me. You can purchase the book directly from that website as well. Got it. Got it. Right on. I want to say too, if anybody's interested in having me and come and speak at their school uh, and talk to their students, there's an event inquiries tab there. Um, fill that out and I'd be happy to talk about coming to your school to uh, you know address your students as well. Right on, Sam. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate it, man. Cool. I was glad we caught up, Shane. Thanks, man. Check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect with us on Instagram at realthatsoberguy and at Shane Raymer on Twitter. Love you guys. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.